0: All right. Good morning, men. Hey, that was good, man. That was good. All right. Well, listen, two more this morning and and next week is it. Hunter will be bringing up the kind of the the last hitter, the last batter up uh, during this uh, before we hit uh, the summer break. And so, man, it's been great. I don't know about you, but I've greatly enjoyed these men's breakfasts. I've enjoyed listening to, uh, yeah. Yeah. I don't think I've been so excited to come on a men's breakfast. This might be my most consistent in three years. Um, I've really enjoyed just listening to Claude and Dell and, and Hunter. I, I just want you to know, you man, we are blessed with some incredible, incredible teachers um, of the Word, and I've just been soaking it in. And um, So thank you. I know Claude and Dale are here. Hey, thank you guys for just being so faithful to the text. And uh, Man, just I've enjoyed chewing on what you've been saying and and trying to digest it and then try to apply it to my life. It's just been great. And so, um, man, it's just been awesome. And so we're going to almost finish up uh, the book of 2 Thessalonians. So if you're new this time, we've been through this kind of winter, spring. We'll be going through First and Second Thessalonians. And kind of the overall theme is kind of, hey, what does it look like to wait well, really, for Christ's return? And so 1 Thessalonians, you kinda, we kind of talked in about Jesus, hey, coming back, but meet us in the clouds. And then maybe 2 Thessalonians, kind of looking at the the second coming, and what does that look like, and I mean, how does a church, and how's a new church and, and handle that, and what do the people face, and so we've been looking at that, and we've looked at the man of lawlessness by, by Dale, he did a great job, and um, last week we looked at Hunter, and, and the first three verses of chapter three, and um, he just talked about the, the three Ps to prayer, right, he said, uh, um, let's see if I can remember them, uh, the proclamation, right, and he talked about the protection and the perseverance of the saints, he talks about this prayer. And so, um, so we're going to jump in. So if, you, if you're new, we're in Second Thessalonians chapter 3, and I'm going to look at verses 6 through ch- verses 15, and I'm going to leave verses 16 and 17 for Hunter. Originally, they were all mine. I said, I, you need something, man. Come on. So I'm going to leave him the benediction, and, uh, and then he's going to kind of sum up everything in this book. So, hey, um, so here's what this text says. So let me read it, and then I'm going to jump in and probably meddle a little bit. So uh, let's read this word. It says in verse 6, it says, Now we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us, because we were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it, but with toil and labor we worked night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you. It was not because we did not have the right, but to give you in ourselves an example to imitate. For even when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but in busy bodies." Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. Now as for you, brothers, do not grow weary in doing good. If anyone does not obey what we say in this letter, take note of that person and have nothing to do with him that we may be ashamed, that he may be ashamed. Do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. Now, you have to admit, when I started looking at this text, I got super excited. I thought, great. Uh, There's a lot in this text, and, man, I'm excited about just to be able to speak this to you, and there's so many different things in this text. We got different parts in this text. We got people in this text. We got different themes that I go, man, we could talk about this, and we could talk about that, and um, wow, there's so much in here that one could address. And almost, in every one of you, I believe you're brilliant. We could probably just read that text and go, man, I get it. I got it. Uh, we could probably just say, hey, that's a good meal and go. Uh, but we're going to look at it a little bit more uh, this morning. So we have a couple different groups in here, right? So we have the we, right? So we have Paul, and he's talking about Timothy and Silas. Hey, we've written this letter to you. And then you have, well, the you. These are the brothers that are probably not the other ones, the ones that are probably doing the work. And then he has kind of them, right? The brothers who, well, they're the idle ones. Um, and so we have these three parties that, that are in this picture, but yet the one common theme is they're all kind of saying, hey, we're all brothers. And so uh, we're going to look at that this morning. But before we do, I think there's some underlying things that you and I have to understand. Most of us here maybe have been in church for a while. and We got a pretty good foundation, a pretty good understanding of this book. But I'm not going to assume that, because that'll usually get me in trouble when I begin to assume things. And so when I look at this text, I go, there's some some principles in here. If you don't understand other foundational doctrines, you're not going to understand this text. Matter of fact, the first word says, now we command. If you don't understand even foundations of the Bible, then you won't understand even how Paul could even say that. And so this morning, I'm just going to talk about that. I believe that God has a kingdom agenda. God has a kingdom agenda for, for work. God has a kingdom agenda for his church. God has a kingdom agenda for church discipline. God has a kingdom agenda for men. And since this is a men's breakfast, I think it's important that we understand God has a kingdom agenda for authority. And so if you don't understand those foundations, well, then when a lot of us, we're gonna be messed up. We won't read this text with the proper, kind of say, glasses. Now, my eyesight is pretty good. I'm grateful for that for this time in my life. Um, I don't know how much longer that'll be, but for right now, I'm grateful that my sight is good. But if I was to put on somebody's glasses who wears glasses, prescription, what do you think would happen? I would not be able to see that well, right? I wouldn't, things would not be focused. Things would be clear. Actually, my eyes would strain. I wouldn't be able to perceive things right. I remember I was driving when I was a kid with my, my sister just got her driver's license and we were driving the car, and my dad was in the passenger seat, and I was in the back seat, and we're going our way to, to school, and so uh, my sister was three years older than me, so I think she was in, well, she, I was in middle school, she was in high school, so she went to school first, and so I'm riding the back, and we're driving on the way there, and all of a sudden, we're coming to a uh, kind of an intersection, and I see a stop sign. My dad sees a stop sign. My sister just keeps on going. <laughs> this is not like the driver's ed car. We kind of hit the brake, man. Uh, lucky for us, praise God, there's no other cars coming. And we quickly said, hey did, you, hey, did you see that stop sign? To my sister Michelle. And, and uh, she goes, I didn't see a stop sign. I mean, my dad, I'm sure he looked back at me. And I'm sure I looked at him like, please get me out of this car. <laughs> so on the way back, I don't know what my dad was thinking. Put her back in the car and we came back the same way. I thought, are you kidding me? Uh, and went back to that same intersection. And she, my sister, you know what she said? That stop sign wasn't there this morning. <laughs> that was the point my dad said, it's time to go see an eye doctor. And realized that, man, she was probably almost legally blind. And so that's how we found out. Not because of reading in class or anything. I don't know how she did it. Um, but realized that, man, she needed to see. She couldn't see right because she needed glasses. Things weren't in focus even a big red sign she couldn't see, uh, which is pretty scary. And, uh, but sometimes we don't look at scripture right. We're at the wrong light, right glasses on the right foundation that we don't understand. And so here's what I want to say this, this morning. Because I'm going to backdrop a little bit before we jump in this tech. And I'm going to kind of try to give us a little bit of foundation before we get into this. Um, listen, you and I have a kingdom agenda, God has placed. You and me in certain spots in certain arena. We're not here Well, just because of our own accord. Listen, God didn't save us to put us on a sideline. I just want you to know each one of you have a calling. Every one of you men, I believe you have a calling. Tony Evans says this. He says, your calling is the divine mission to what God has ordained you, burned in your heart, and equipped you to accomplish, to bring him glory and to advance his kingdom. Now, listen, when I read that, I got pretty fired up. And I know that's hard for me. (laughs) But listen, he says, your calling is a divine mission that God has ordained you and burned in your heart. And he's equipped you to accomplish for what purpose, for his glory, for the advance of his kingdom. Do you remember what Paul prayed in the proclamation? He said this in, in, in verse one of this same chapter, that um, pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored. Hey, hey listen, for the advancement of God and the honor of his word means which he receives glory. Listen, you and I, man, we, we've, been, we've been set aside. You have a divine mission ordained. You can't do, I can't do what you can do. And look at your neighbor, you can't do what he can do. And he can't do what you can do. Listen, each of you have a, a calling. You see, I think sometimes we, we mess it up, and, but how do we know this? I'm going to say this morning, if you don't understand Genesis, you won't understand the rest of this book. You see, it says in Genesis 1, what? In the beginning, who? God. The fact, the fact there is a God, there is a higher authority, there is somebody who's bigger than you and I, there is someone that actually that we, well, we actually need to submit to. In the beginning, God, God created. And then he goes into creation, and he begins, he says, after He begins what? He begins to create male and female. And then he places Adam in the garden, right? And in chapter one, verses 26 and verses 27, he says this to Adam, Adam, listen, by the way, I want you to begin to, I want you to tend this garden. And of course he, and I want you to, by the way, I want you to begin to call and name the animals. You see, if you don't get Genesis right, you're not going to get the rest of this book. There, there, there's an order to the way God set up things. There, 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 there is authority. And so when Paul comes here in verse 3, he says, now we command you. How can Paul even have a right to, to command if we don't even understand the right that there's a biblical basis for authority? There's a, there's a structure. There's a thing. And so just as when he took to Adam and Eve, and then Adam names Eve. See, typically someone who names someone has authority over it. Now, listen, Adam was, as we know in 1 Corinthians, listen, he is to be the head. Just as Christ is head of the church, man is head of the home. There's a structure that is set up there. It's not that Adam and Eve were of different essence. It's a different a function. Just as in the Godhead, God the Father and God the Son are the same essence, but yet the Son submits to the Father. There's a different function. There's a different role. See, if you don't give that in Genesis, if you don't understand that criteria that God has an agenda for his church, he has an agenda for you and me as men, And how we lead. And when you come to some of these texts, you won't understand it. We won't get it. God has a calling, a divine mission for your life that he's ordained you for. And for two things, man, to bring him glory and to advance his kingdom. All right. So Paul comes to this verse 6. And he says this. Now we command you. Now we know from Dale, um, even the first Thessalonians, that Paul loves this word. Actually, in this text, he uses the word command about six times. Did I fall? I fell. Thanks, man. So Paul uses this word. I'm going to get louder. (laughs) That's just what they needed. Uh, Wake up. All right. Hey, listen, Paul uses the word command six times. And so Paul uses this word, command. It's a military term. And a lot of some of you who are here have military background, right? Dan, where's Dan? Dan, I imagine in your role in the military, you had people that are underneath you. And I imagine if you gave a command, you expected them to do something. Am I right? And if they didn't, there'd probably be consequences, right? (laughs) Listen, this is what he's saying. Now, I command you. This is Paul saying, listen, with authority, kind of using a military officer term here, hey, listen, I am commanding you. What's going on here? Well, we read the text. We know there's this problem with these idlers. Paul uses the word command really in, in, in 1 Thessalonians 4, chapter 2, in, uh, um, chapter 2, verses 2 and 11. But then in chapter 5, verses 14, we, we know there's these unruly people. He's already warned these people in, chapter, in, in previous letter. So remember, when Paul wrote this book, The church in Thessalonians was birthed within three weeks, all right? And so you got this church, you got this group of new believers that Paul writes to in this first book, and to encourage them and to teach them, as Dale said, typically Paul's method was, hey, the first half, he'd give you kind of theology and doctrine, and the second half, he'd give you practical, and so he gives them this practical theology, and he taught them deep things, he talked about the return of Christ, and all of a sudden, he gets his second report back going, hey, man, things are, whew, some of you still aren't doing it. So Paul's coming with a little harsher tone here. But look how he says it. Now, I, now we command, as a military, as an officer, to someone less, to like a soldier, to a private. And then what's the next word he uses? Brothers. He says, listen, man, you and I were both in the side at the foot of the cross. You and I are the same. But somehow there's been some kind of functional difference here that for some reason God has placed Paul as an authority over these men. So if we don't understand there's been authority and roles and functions set up in the scripture from beginning in Genesis, well, then we won't get this. And men, you won't lead your homes like, well, men, we should leave our, lead our homes and lead our wives and lead our kids. And so we need to understand this. They say somewhere maybe between 40 and 50 percent of children will go to sleep tonight. with having no father to tuck them in. Among minorities, that jumps to about 63%. And maybe even today, it's at that, those are some older stats, but that might be even in the 70 percentile now. You see, our culture is fighting where we need men. We need men who will say, listen, I'm, I understand that God's called me to something else. But listen, the, the older should teach the younger, that we should follow this plan. And so Paul is coming to address some issues that have a tendency to disrupt God's beautiful kingdom. Listen, God, Paul is saying, listen, there's, a, there's, a, there's the bride of Christ and it's being marred by certain people. And he says, listen, now we command you. Hey, by the way, brothers, we're in this together. I'm coming to you not only as a commander, but listen, as a, a fellow worker, a fellow, a fellow laborer in the work of the gospel here. And know what he says? In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, most of us, we would just read that and kind of pass over it. Yes, that's a title to God. Right, so Jesus typically is kind of more the human side. It talks about, actually means savior. Christ is typically his kind of his divine title. That represents kind of Messiah. But here he actually puts the word kurios. He puts the word Lord in the name of the Lord, Jesus Christ. You see, Paul says, we command you, brothers, let's bring it all back together that we're in the same thing. And then all of a sudden it comes this idea, listen, hey, by the way, in the name, not of my authority, not because of who Paul is, but because of the Lord Jesus Christ, because in the beginning God created, and because there's a God who created, means he's the created, and we are the, uh, he's the creator, and we are the created, means his name is I am, and our, and our name is I am not. You're kind of getting this, Right? So he says, in the name of the Lord. Listen, he wants to remember, listen, hey, listen, listen, he's saying, listen, church, I know you're young, I know you're battling, I know things are not going right, but listen, there is someone even more authority that I I answer to, and that is the Lord. You see, just in the family, as man's been put head of the, head of the family, it's not that he can be dominant, just like Adam was not to be dominant and intimidate Eve. No, it was that Adam might help Eve nourish and flourish to become all that God had created her to be. It's the same thing in the family. If we as men lead, listen, that we might create that our kids and our wives might become all that they can be. They might nourish and they might flourish. Why? Because even the man in the home has accountability. Because as a father, I still... Well, I submit myself to the local church, and so I'm under the authority. And that authority eventually is, I, listen, I'm still under authority of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because it came to a point in my life where I said, hey, God, listen, not only do I want you as Jesus' Savior, and I understand that you're the Christ, you're the Messiah, but I also say, listen, I'm surrendering my life because you are Lord of everything in my life. Which means, what I find in a lot of times in the church, we love, we love the idea of having to discount God. Like, we love discounts. Maybe our wives like them more saying, Um, but like, hey, listen, 30% off, or like in Spain, you can know when it was like every August and every winter, they have Rebajas. It's like the the two times of the year when, man, the sales go on and people just go out and go shopping. It's just like, those are the times. It's like everything is, you know, discounted. And I almost said that in Spanish, it's Um Everything is discounted 50% or, or whatever. And we love a discount. Problem is we bring that into our theology, say, listen, I love a discount, God, where God's saying, hey, God says, no, listen, in the Lord Jesus Christ, he's the Lord of everything. But we go, hey, I'd rather have kind of this discount, God, where it says, he hey, God, what about a 70-30? You take 70% of my life and 30%, well, let's just leave that. Let me just leave that to me. Now, imagine, Dan, if you had a soldier said, hey, listen, I don't mind you being my leader over 70%, but leave this 30% alone. Well, I gather, and I, I'm, not, I'm not a military person, but my brother my dad and all my grandparents were, were, were both all in the military. But I gather, if you're in the military, there is, there, I don't think there is a discount uh, that you do. Now, I'm going to throw my brother under the bus, because I went in the military, so I probably would have done the same thing, maybe, I don't know. I love my brother. He's four years older than me. He always did better in school than me, smarter. Intellectually, he's just smarter than I am. Probably more diligent worker, probably more creative. But I would say my brother didn't have great street smarts. I'm just going to call him out. And I hope he doesn't <laughs> listen. <laughs> That'd be funny. <laughs> he's still bigger than me. Um, but I remember my dad, I'm going to say this is coming from my dad, but my brother was in the, in the military and he joined, he dropped out of college after his sophomore year and joined the Army. And um, so I remember talking to my dad. Say, hey, hey, how's Paul doing, man? How, how's my brother doing? He goes, he's doing all right. I said, well, is he, is, has he got out of, has he been promoted? Is he still at E-whatever? He goes, nope. I think everybody else has been promoted that went through camp with him except them. He's, I think he's the last one to be promoted. I said, well, that's kind of surprising, but maybe not. I said, well, what, what happened? He said, well, he was driving a general. In a, in a jeep or drive them somewhere i picked them up and took them back to wherever the, the general needed to go and my brother looked at the general when they got out of the jeep and and the general said hey can you just get my bags and carry them and my brother who is intellectually smart knows that general physically fit <laughs> looks at him and sizes him up says i'm pretty sure that you're strong enough to carry your own bags Needless to say, he was the last one promoted. <laughs> Sometimes we do that, right? We, we, we look at God and go, well, mm. no, listen, God is Lord of our life. Just like my, pa- my brother just said, yes, sir, I'll, I'll take those bags, wherever you want them, wherever you want to put them. Sometimes in our life, listen, we, we do that. God says, hey, I want you to, because of this calling I placed on your life that I've uh, ordained in your life, this mission, listen, to advance my kingdom and to bring glory to my name, sometimes we go, hmm. And that's why he says, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I better get moving. He says this, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not according to the tradition that you received from us. And so Paul uses the word idol. He uses it three times. This Greek word. It's called a tactoi. And so he uses, he calls these people out. He also used it in the previous one, in the previous letter. He says, listen, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not according to the tradition. And this tradition, he says, listen, that, man, I spoke to you while I was there. This is the tradition that, man, I walked, I showed, I demonstrated with my life. It's the, it's the tradition that I wrote to you. And so this tradition has a multifaceted. It's the word spoken, it's the written word, and it's the living example by the way he lived his life. Listen, we are in a culture today that, listen, needs men like you to live this book out. Can, Can I just say that there's a younger generation that needs to see men walk. Our sons and our grandsons need to see what it means to walk with the Lord. I used to love the fact when I used to come back off the mission field and I'd come home and, and just for a break and, and so we didn't have a home and so we'd stay at the mission house and if that didn't work out we'd stay with my in-laws Rick and Sue and Rick's over here and I used to love it when I was staying at his house and I'd get up in the morning and my kids would be up early before me so I was very grateful that he, he likes to get up early and he'd walk in and he has a room in the front of his house and in there he would be just doing a little devotion with my, my kids and making them coffee at two years, three and four and five years old. <laughs> I think mostly it was hot chocolate. But, um, but I love to see that. Listen, listen, your grandkids, because sometimes, somehow it missed a generation. Sometimes our, our kids aren't doing what they need to. And so the grandkids need to see a man who loves the word of God, is unashamed, and understands that I'm living my life for his glory and for the advance of his kingdom. So keep away from these idle brothers. For you yourselves ought to know how you ought to imitate us because we were not idle when we were with you. Paul saying, listen, imitate my life. Now that's, think about that statement. Man, I've been chewing on that all week. Probably the last couple weeks going, I don't know if I can say that. Could I say to someone, hey, imitate my life. He says, nor do we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. So Paul's setting this example here as he does missions and he goes out. But with toil and labor, we worked night and day. And throughout the, the, his epistles, you see this theme that Paul never takes anything. He works. He's a tent maker. This is what he does. He says, I don't want to be a burden. Listen, if I'm planning a new church, listen, I don't want to be a burden to that church. Listen, I'm grateful when I was in Spain that there were churches in the States that supported me and my family. So I wouldn't be a burden to anybody there. So I wouldn't give it a fence and say, hey, no, Wes is just here because he's trying to get money from us. Listen, I've seen other people do that in other countries. Other missionaries going, hey, listen, I need you to do this. If you you want me to come, you're going to have to pay me. I'm like, listen, they don't pay any pastor in this whole state, this whole providence. And you're the missionary and you want them to pay you? Come on, man. Paul says, I don't want to be a burden. I don't want to set an example. Listen, that's why we go on a mission trip, that we raise our support. I don't want to go to some place and go, hey, hey, we're here, now you feed us. Even when we were in Thailand, now they fed us, I I have to admit but I want you to know before we left, we left them all the funds that they needed, even more so for the food that we ate. Because I don't want to be a burden to them. I don't want to give them the defense, they hate to come over and eat our food. And Paul's saying that same thing here. But we toiled, we worked. He says it was not because we did not have the right, because Paul later on says, listen, I mean, I'm here, I'm supported by you guys. Listen, there are those rights. But I think when Paul's talking about his missionary endeavor before he's planted the church and this church is established and it has anything that um, substance to it. He has a right. Just as the father of the son, right? He says, but to give you ourselves an example to imitate. Last time we saw a great movement in, the, in, in America was probably the frontier movement, Right? I mean, in 1776, I was telling Claude the other day there were 30 Methodist churches. In 1860, there were over 20,000. In 1776, there were 700 Congregational churches. By the same time, there were only 2,000. In 1860, what happened? And the Baptists are the same way. They had 300, and then they, were, then they wound up having almost 12,000. And then later on, by 1950, there were 77,000. How did that happen? People said, hey, listen, you, I don't have to pick my own wage. The Methodists had the circuit riders. They ran around. The Baptists said, hey, if you're a good farmer, oh, you look like you can speak, go preach. Or let's try you out. And if you did well, you went to the next one. And if you didn't do so well there, they bring you back. Not your calling. But if you did well, hey, listen, go preach. It was empowering people. Listen, men, you guys can teach. You can lead your families in devotions. You can lead your grandkids in devotions. Let your kids say, listen, maybe they imitate you. As Paul says, I want these people to imitate me. He says, for even when we were with you, we would give you this command. This is like an old saying. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. Now, notice what he says there. This phrase is huge here. If anyone is not willing, it's about willingness. It's not about, it's not about ability. Now, I'm just going to speak and meddle for a little bit. So I listen, I watch news, I watch the politics, and I know I watch these different countries and I've lived in some of them and stayed in some of them where this idea of a kind of a universal basic income where, listen, everybody ought to deserve a right to have a, have a certain salary without work. You see, Paul is facing this right here. Some cultural things here that, he, that, that he's dealing with. And so there's this idea, listen, that no, 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 everybody has a right to, to a basic income. But then you don't, if you don't understand Genesis, you won't get the rest that's right. Remember, Jesus put Adam and said, listen, till, take care of the garden. This is, by the way, this was before the fall. This was God's ideal that you and I, because he knows something in us that we work, because that's what we are created to do. And sin didn't mar that ideal. The ideal's still there. And so when we take that away from people, the right to work, and so we're taking away very much how they are being created Thought I'd throw that in there for a second. Just, been on. I man, you read the news, you see this, and I read this text, and I go, whoa, man, you ain't willing to work. And you have the ability? Man, you're not eating. Listen, I know when I was growing up. My dad lost his job one time, and thought, what are we gonna do? He had a pretty good job as an engineer, and all of a sudden, that just didn't work out. and So in between jobs, man, my dad went across the street and got in Circle K. He was working behind Circle K. Man, listen, I, that's a pretty humbling thing. But man, put food on the table, he did it. He had ability to work, so why not do it? Says anyone is not willing, not talking about ability, he's talk, uh, um, talking about willingness. You see, understand the Jews, you understand the Jews and Greeks during this time in this text, among the, the Jews, even the rabbis were required to have a trade. But the Greeks, well, the Greeks thought manual labor was below them. They thought, man, that's only for slaves. And so you have this cultural context that's taking place in this thing. And so you have some of a man, who are coming from the Greek background going, man, I'm not working. And then you got some of the other ones that may become the Jewish background saying, I'm working. And they're looking at the other ones going, hmm, I'm working, but he's not, and I'm not understanding this. And so there's some of this division that's happening in the church. Listen, God will use different things to create, Satan will use different things to create division among the body. So, Paul says, listen, let's go back to the foundation. Let's go back to Genesis and understand the proper a- aspect of work that you and I were created. For saying the Greeks fell. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. And later on, he talks about these same people. He says they're busy bodies and they're gossiping. Usually, if someone's idle, not doing something, they're doing something. I mean, you and I both know it. If they're not working with their hands, they're using something else. Using their tongue, doing something easy. I mean, like the Romans have the old thing. Idle hands, right? Usually leads to evil men. I mean, that's, they have their, every, every culture has their saying about this. He says, now such persons we command. Now, let's say he's a command again. And encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and earn their own living. It's almost the opposite of what they're doing. Hey, some of you guys are living loud and not doing anything. Hey, work quietly. Hey, listen, earn a living and you will come in contact with people on the street and if you start working with homeless and I've done it before and you start working with people and you work in the poor you got to wrestle with this text now I want you to know what he says here he is talking about people in the church so know that there's a difference so he's talking about people brothers in the church that are, have the ability to work but they're not because they think it's beneath them or, or they think the return of Christ some people think hey God Christ is going to return so why work just keep going That's crazy because Paul said, thought the same thing, but Paul worked. Follow his example. And In verse 13 and 14 and 15, I'm gonna close with these. Hey, as for you, brothers, do not grow weary in doing good. Hey, listen, men, don't grow weary in doing good. Don't quit, don't stop. Hey, just because it worked last year doesn't mean it's gonna work this year. Hey, just because you had that last time you had a family vacation, your grandkids were there and you did it. Hey, don't stop, do it again this time. Spend time, take those walks with me. I'll never forget when I ride in a span, a guy named Pastor Jaime, man, he grabbed me. And I could couldn't understand him much, but we were at this Baptist Union Conference and he grabbed me and he walked me almost like a father and just encouraged me. Listen, grab someone younger you and say, hey, how you doing? Walk in their life, talk to them. Don't grow weary in doing good. Listen, there's a culture that is pressing in upon every single one of us, in our homes, and our families, the way we do things, the way we think Hollywood has their agenda. But listen, God has his agenda. And I've read the back of the book, and I know who wins. So listen, don't grow weary doing good. I mean, this church is under persecution. We read in the last book that some have died because of their faith. Don't grow weary in doing good. Listen, I was just in Thailand, and I saw a guy who was doing incredible things. I'm reading this text and going, man, this sounds like Samsung who, by the way, is a business owner, owns a little shop, he's adopted eight kids, has a wife, he's planted 18 churches over 400 house churches. In the last two years, seen 14,000 people come to Christ. I go, man, I don't think I'm doing anything in my life. <laughs> hey, don't grow weary in doing good. If anyone does not obey what we say in this letter, take note of that person. It's almost like put a tag on them, public or private, and have nothing to do with him that he may be ashamed. The whole goal is to restore. Galatians says, gently restore, brother. The goal is not to ostracize someone, but is that, that we might restore that brother back into, well, the good foundation. Show him in scripture. Listen, the ability to work is there. In Genesis 1, 27 and two fifteen. It, it's there. That's, God instituted it. And Paul gives us the practical outline of church discipline here. In other places as well, in 1 Corinthians 5 and Titus. But here he says, by the way, do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. So, I mean, listen, we, we, we deal with agape here. Claude does a lot more than I do. And sometimes you have to deal with those issues. But when it comes to someone in the faith, it says, hey, warn this person as a brother. Bring them back in, all right? We need each other. So I'm gonna say this. God has a kingdom agenda for authority. He has an agenda for church discipline. He has a church for function, uh, how a church should work. He has an agenda for Work itself, he has, a, he has an agenda for men. And so I'm gonna close this, and I'm gonna say it again, and I love what Tony said. Your calling is a divine mission to what God has ordained you, burned in your heart, and equipped you to accomplish, to bring him glory and advance his kingdom. Men, this morning, don't grow weary in doing good. Don't grow weary in doing what God has called you to do to advance his kingdom and to bring glories to his name. May we walk this weekend and this next week in a manner worthy of our king. Have a blessed week.